and we're wrapping up John chapter 12. What I said last week was that the last week and this week are the, the, the final public ministry appearances of Jesus. Uh, from this point forward, after today, when we're done today, Jesus is done with public ministry. He's not, he, he, he's, he's, he's not out healing and doing miracles and, and things anymore. He's going to kind of go underground with his disciples and start kind of really giving them some last-minute play-by-plays and, and pouring into them and ministering uh, to them. And, and, and so we're in, we're in the last six verses. We're going we're gonna to be picking up in, in verse 44 uh, of John chapter 12 today. And it's really interesting because this, these six verses that we're going to be in today basically summarize everything that Jesus has been talking about in the last 12 chapters. And so I say you, you're, you're, you're lucky to be here today because if you missed any part of what Jesus has been saying up to now, you're going to get these main components that he's been speaking about. And, and not only that, um, I think it's going to be short. I don't want to jinx it, but I think that we're going to get out of here in less than an hour. So lucky day for you. Um, so t- today will be his final words of his public ministry for three years. Jesus has been healing the sick. Jesus has been casting out demons. Jesus has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom for three years. And there's this, you know, walking around Judea, Galilee, and Samaria talking about the kingdom of God. And here's what it looks like. And here's how you can get access to it. And there's this interesting connection between mir- the miracles and the message. You see this all throughout Jesus' ministry so far, that there, there's, there's this connection where when he does a miracle, when he does something, when he heals a blind man, when he, when he raises someone from the dead, when he heals a sick child, when he turns water into wine, the crowds just begin, to, they just grow, and everybody just kind of swarms onto him, like they, they just swell and when, they, when, the, when the crowds would gather around him and all, after all these miracles, and they want to follow, they want to see the show, they want to know what's, they want to see some more, then Jesus would start preaching a message. He would start saying some things. And then you'd see those crowds dwindle down like, I don't, I don't align with what you just said. I don't agree with what you just said, Jesus. I, I love the show that you put on, but I don't like the message. I don't like the message that you carry because it's saying things that I just don't like. And we saw last week... In John chapter 12, verse 36, when we closed out, Jesus said these things. He departed and hid himself from them. And John's getting ready to take us now behind closed doors. He's getting ready to, to, to bring us and sit us down with Jesus and around the, him and his disciples. Uh, we get to go in the room and have this private conversation, be part of this private conversation that Jesus would have with his disciples. Now, Interesting fact for you, our entire summer is going to be in this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. We're going to pick it up next week, and the conversation is going to end sometime in the end of August. So we're going to spend a lot of time encountering what Jesus is talking about. Like, what's the, because you know this is his final moments with the guys who are supposed to carry this message to the world. And so what he's going to say is going to be very, very important. Like he's got, so we want to, we want to pull our chairs up. We want to get in the room and we want to hear what Jesus has to say. So chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's all one conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And so we're going to spend the summer there. And at the end of the summer, when this conversation's over, Jesus' final hours are now here. And so we're going to start looking at where he will be arrested 
where he will be put on trial, where he will be beaten and scourged and ultimately crucified. But three days later, we'll get to see him defeat death and rise from the grave. So there's this huge shift. I want to kind of just show you this today, that right now we're in this huge shift in the gospel. Public ministry, closing, fixing to go behind closed doors, private conversation that in the Bible is only a few chapters, but it's going to take us the summer to get through. And then Jesus' ultimate passion, his, his focus on the cross. And so John wants us to say, hey, before we shift, before we, before we turn the page, let's recount the three years of Jesus' ministry. Let's talk about those important concepts of his ministry. Let's talk about the message that Jesus was preaching. So if you're in John chapter 12, we're going to read starting in verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Six verses that summarize what Jesus has been proclaiming for three years. First, it opens up and it says, Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus and the Father are one. He's reiterating what we talked about in John chapter 10, that I and the Father were one. We're one, one part of the Trinity, right? Three persons and one Godhead we are one, and he says in verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I love that. Jesus and the Father are one, and this is the, this, let me tell you something. This was very offensive for Jesus to say this in this context. So if you're in this room and you're a believer and you just kind of gloss over that, I don't want you to. If you're an unbeliever in this room, I want you to know that we're not going to gloss over that, that that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Jesus says this. He says, hey, guys, I've come to make the invisible visible. That's why I've come. The invisible God who created everything from nothing is made visible. And he's made visible because he put on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He dwelt among men in the form of Jesus Christ, his son. I've, God has made himself visible in his son, Jesus. And what's offensive about this is that Jesus says, to believe in the Father, if you want to believe in the Father, you have to believe in me. If you want to believe in the Father, you, you have to believe in me, and the opposite is true. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the Father, because that's the only way. To not see Jesus is to not see God. We can't see God if we're ignoring who Jesus is. So if I told you that you can know the uncreated one, the one who created Mount Everest, the one who created the Pacific Ocean, 
the one who allows us to see colors, the one who allows us to taste things, that you could know that person, wouldn't you want to know him? Like, wouldn't you want to know the one who created all of this and created you, the one who was uncreated? And Jesus would stand up and say, you can know him. You can know him, and it's through me. That's how you know him. So these words of exclusivity, saying I'm the only way, there's no other way, I'm the only way, is obviously offensive. So if you're in the room today and you're like, you know what, everybody's on their own journey and we'll all end up with the same God. Two things that's anti-gospel, it's heresy. It's not true. Like, you have to call Jesus a liar if you believe that. Because Jesus said, I am the only way. I'm the only one. You want to see the Father? You want to know the Father? You, you want to believe the Father? It has to come through me. So in their simplest forms, Jesus' words are saying, everyone's personal path does not lead them to God. Right? We don't all have our own little journeys. Only journey we have is through Jesus. That's it. So if you want a relationship with God, you have to allow him to define himself on his terms, not yours. You don't get to make up what you think about God and define him as who you want him to be, and that's the God that I'm going to worship. And it, you know, it'll all wash out in the end. The ability to see God clearly is only accomplished through Jesus. So in him, in Jesus, we can see the manifestation of God's love. In Jesus, we get to see how God feels about injustice. In Jesus, we get to see how God feels about children, the orphans, the widows, the poor. We get to see God's heart through Jesus. And we get to see God's heart for sinners through Jesus those who are separated from him. If you want to know who God is and how he thinks and how he feels, look at Jesus. God has given us Jesus. And he takes the invisible and makes it visible. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. But what the Father has told him to say and told him to do. That's it. And he is the light. This has been the theme, not only in John, but throughout Scripture. In verse 46, he would say, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And this has been the major theme of the whole Bible that climaxes at the Gospel of John, that this theme of light and darkness, light and darkness. The Bible would open up in Genesis in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Just a side note for you, he doesn't create the sun and the moon until verse 16. 
So while God would live in perfect harmony with mankind at this point, as he's creating everything and he creates mankind and all of his glory, creates woman and all of her glory, mankind would rebel against God. Mankind would choose creation over the creator. Mankind would rebel. And when they did that, they ushered in this darkness, this, this darkness that would follow us even today, that it, it trails, trails us today that we're dealing with this. And this darkness that we're talking about is literally something that obscures reality. Like you're hidden, you can't see reality in its fullest form because of this darkness. That's the darkness that follows us. And the Bible would say that we love this darkness. The Bible says, man, apart from Christ, we run to the dark. We love the dark. We hate the light. We, we recoil from the light. That's what the Bible would say about us. And so as we arrive at the Gospel of John, he opens up by telling us that Jesus comes not just to bring abstract truth about reality, but he comes as the light, and he comes to expose the reality that is hidden in the darkness. So there's a reality that you guys don't even see because you're living in darkness. You love the darkness. You run to the darkness. And Jesus has come to expose that, to put light on that so that you can see reality, that you can see that. So we see all throughout, God, the Gospel of John would open up. Chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we saw last week, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest, you, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Reality is obscured from him. He can't see his way. While you have the light, believe in the light. While you have Jesus, believe in Jesus that you may become sons of light. The light of Jesus reveals who God is. It, it shows us who God is, and the light shows us who we are. And the light shows us what this world looks like, the current state of it. In chapter 3, he's having this conversation, Jesus having this conversation with this, with this Pharisee named Nicodemus, and, and we get our popular uh, uh, Christian slogan out of verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then just a verse or two later, he's saying, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So, Pay attention to that. We're tying that together now because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is what sin has done. This is what sin has done to us. It has brought us darkness into this world. It has obscured our view of reality, our understanding of reality. And it's the darkness where we cling to these things that might define us of who we are. In the darkness, we might think it's a person 
that defines us, a, a, a spouse or a companion or whoever, a best friend, that that's the, that's the thing that defines me. Or it might be a possession that I have. In the dark, I feel like that's the very thing that defines who I am, and I have to hold on to that with all of my grip. The more we cling to these things in the dark, the more we unwire the image of God, the more we unwire how he made us. We stay in the dark and hold on to these other things that define us. And so Jesus comes into the world as light to reveal to us really how sinful we are, but even more so how much we are loved. How sinful we are, but how much we are loved. It's a beautiful thing to have Jesus expose you with light and cover you with his mercy. It's a beautiful thing. I'm always banging on the drum of community groups, right? Like I'm always saying how important it is that you be in a small community, a small family of, of believers that you're, doing, that you're doing life with. And here's why. It is absolutely vital to your personal discipleship that you, you belong in one of those groups. We can only scratch the surface here on Sunday mornings for you. But your discipleship, you grow as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, when you're doing life with one another. And you want to know why I am willing to die on that hill? Why I'm always exhorting you, please go. Go and get in community with someone because I believe that this is the most effective environment for you to be in where, you can, where Jesus' light can expose you and show you mercy. That's where this happens. If I run around and just you know, check in on Sundays and then check out, I can live in a dark place and never have those dark corners of my heart exposed but when I'm doing life with, one, with, with other believers who are constantly holding me accountable and asking me questions and praying with me and, and I'm able to confess and, and to, to repent and, to, to, and they can walk with me and I can turn from my sin, then that's where discipleship begins to take place because Jesus would say in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And he gave two things. He said, here's what defines disciple making. You baptize and you teach obedience. Those two things were key components, key fixtures in disciple-making as far as Jesus was concerned. So Jesus and the Father, they're one. And Jesus came into this world as light to shine in dark places. And if I can just be as simple as possible, I'll say that Jesus came to save. Jesus, Jesus came to save. In verse 47, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them. Listen to, these, listen to these words. I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus did not come to judge the world, yet his words, the gospel, will judge the world. The words of Jesus, he says, will judge the world. Back when he was having that conversation with this Pharisee named Nicodemus, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. Because here's the deal. The world already stood in judgment. You remember there was this couple back in Genesis that we just talked about. And they ushered in some kind of darkness because they chose something other than God. And so judgment was placed at that point, and we stand judged. And Jesus says, I don't come to judge you. You're already judged. That's why I am here. I've come to save you from this judgment. I've come to take this judgment on myself so that you don't have to. Because you're not able to. We are separated from God at the start. Separated from Him at the start. And so Jesus comes into this world not to judge it, but to save it. To save this world. And He's going to do it by going to the cross. So that's... Let me just make make it a little bit more clear for you. In God's justice and in His righteousness, He will judge sin. And we can't stand that judgment. God requires, God, God requires death as the judgment of The penalty for sin is death. And he says, you know what? Here's my son. And I'm going to place all of your sin on his shoulders. The sins of the world are going on his shoulders. And there I will judge those sins. So Jesus is headed to the cross. He's going to drink the cup of wrath that was ours to drink. So he comes to have this divine intervention with us. Jesus steps into humanity, fully God and fully human, as this divine intervention. And all that he says, and even how he says it, not even just what he says, but he would say, the Father has told me what to say and how to say it has been commanded by him, by his father. So when you hear the word command, hear the word obedience, like that's not a yoke that we're setting on you as as though you were some kind of slave. I don't want you to hear oppression or strict rule or tyranny or enslavement because Jesus isn't that kind of king. Jesus isn't a king who takes from you. He's the one king who instead of taking, 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 and driving you further into enslavement, will give. Will give, will give so that, so that you would be free. There's a freedom there. And this command leads to eternal life. Jesus came to save. He and the Father are one. And he came into this world as light. And he came to save. And it's a good thing he it's a good thing he came to save because guess what? No one else was coming for you. No one else was coming. We stood judged where we were. And without Christ, we were hopeless. There was, this world was a hopeless place without Christ. But it was always part of the Father's plan to redeem us and to reconcile us back to Him. And His plan was always through His Son, Christ. 
So do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus and the Father are one and that the only way to see God clearly, the only way to bring God into focus is through Jesus Christ? Because all of Scripture is wrapped around that truth and that idea that the world's a dark place. We live in a dark place. There's a shadow that's always hovering over us. But Christ comes to shine a light, to expose all of those dark places. And he doesn't just expose it so that we're, oh, I, God, I don't, I, I don't want to lay my heart before you right now because all you're going to do is expose it and I'm going to be judged and I can't handle that. But he covers it with his mercy. He exposes it and he covers it with his mercy. That's a good king. That's a good God. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning once again to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness toward us when when we don't even deserve it. But God, you made a way through your son, Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit to believe on him and have abundant life through your grace. And so, Father, would you increase our faith? Those of us who would would align ourselves with Christ as, as followers of Jesus, would you increase our faith? Would you strengthen our faith? And through your grace, would you give the gift of faith to the one who has none? Would you pour out your grace on the one in this room or the few in this room whose answer is no, I don't believe. No, I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. I don't believe that Jesus gives us the clearest picture of God. Father, would you would you give them the gift of faith right now? Would you awaken their hearts? They could see you in all your glory and all your goodness. That you are kind, that you don't take, but that you give so that we could be free. Not just free to do whatever we want, but free to do whatever you want. And would you cause us to, to grow more and more into the likeness of your son? through the power of your spirit, through the steps of obedience, through faith that we might take. And God, I thank you that your kindness has been shown here even this morning. Through your mercy, God, would you continue to create in us a gratitude and a gratefulness and a humility that we get to even come and sing songs to you and sing songs about you and to look at your word and know who you are and worship you. Not because you're an evil tyrant, 
but everything that we long for and all of our emptiness can only be filled through worshiping you. And so that's what we ask now, Father. Would you take away all of this other dissatisfaction that, that I have, that we might have, and a circumstance that we may be in? And what we feel like the future has for us, would you, would you create in us an expectation and a hope only found in Jesus that you'll do all things for your glory and for the good of those who love you who are called according to your purpose. And we love you, Jesus, and we ask that you that you do a work in this place, that you do a work in my heart, that you do a work in the heart of those who are in this room. May we see you more clearly and worship you more fully. Amen.